As we're beginning our class, Corey has a, a handout, and he'll be watching for other people coming in. But make sure you uh, get that handout there, and we might be able to, at the end of this lesson, get through all those questions. But if we don't, I've given you a handout, so you have them either way. Corey's handing them out. He's handing out the, the handouts. We're going to be picking up in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25 and verse 4, which is a, an exposition on the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. So we're going to be talking about covetousness, which we probably don't use that word as much as we might use the word contentment. And so we're going to discuss that. What we'll do, we'll, we'll work through the text. I'll give an explanation of some of the things here in the text, but then we're going to talk about you know, the, the applications it has for us and uh, maybe spend the majority of our time on that. That's my, my hope, at least. And the title of today's lesson is Because, because of Who Has Me, I Shall Not Want wants to guess what psalm in the Bible I had in mind? It's going to be a significant psalm for understanding contentment. We live in a world that, that seeks to breed discontentment. You see that in, in advertisements. People want you to be unhappy with the things that you have so that you'll buy the thing that they're offering it's always a, an appeal to the pride in man, pride for status and stuff. You know, this thing will raise your status or you need this stuff and you'll be happier and people will like you more. How many of you have ever felt discontent while you were shopping on the internet? You thought, oh man, I only own the three-star thing, but now they have a four-star rated thing. <laughs> Or what about while you're reading about other people's lives on the internet? Yeah, I wish I could just be as happy as them or do all the stuff that they get to do. Or you know, why, why can't I look like her? Or why can't I have the, the recognition that he has? You know, within the, the world, there's just this constant seeking to breed discontentment in us, telling us you need a better job. You need a bigger house, uh, you need cooler clothes, you need a, a more efficient car, or you need a, a different place to live. We can find ourselves discontent in a myriad of things. could be discontentment in a relationship where there's some struggles within it, uh, discontentment in ongoing health trials, uh, we find ourselves discontent in all sorts of situations that require us to be steadfast. We find ourselves discontent in situations where we're tempted to not trust that God is good. We'd never put it that way, but the reality is that we're really struggling to trust that this thing that God has given us in his providence is 
a good thing and what she's doing good for us so that our salvation can be worked out through it. Satan has made a great assault on the contentment of God's image bearers ever since the beginning when he advertised the forbidden fruit on the planet as the upgrade that everybody needed when actually what he sold them was a lemon, which is a demotion in the name of a promotion. I'm talking about how we talk about a vehicle when you buy a, a lemon. That's, I don't know what the actual fruit was. Maybe it was a lemon. But he told them it was sweet and it ended up being sour, something like that. But the idea, it's saying th this is a promotion. This is, you're getting an upgrade, but instead it's, it's a demotion. It's a downgrade in actuality. When it comes to connecting, you know, the law here of Moses, you know, the law with a capital L to how it instructs us about covetousness in our own heart, Paul in Romans 7 writes this. This is Romans 7, 7 to 12. He says, what, what shall we say then is the law sin? So if, if the law can't give you righteousness and it just points out sin, should we say, well, the, the law is sinful if that's all that it does is point out sin? And Paul says, may it never be. Rather, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. So he's understanding what, what the law does is what it means. It means it instructs. You know, I would have never been uh, uh, instructed about the sin that's inside of me unless it, I had received that instruction. It says, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, worked out in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Now, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And this commandment, which was to lead to life, was found to lead to death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So what he's pointing out there is what the law does is it actually taught him that he was dead in sin. In particular, it pointed out that inside of Paul's heart was all sorts of covetousness, all sorts of selfishness or all sorts of discontentment with the lot that God had given him in life. And the law did a good thing for him. The law did a good thing in pointing out the sin that was in him so that Paul would see that life isn't in the law. Life is in the Savior. And it pointed him toward the Savior who can give life and life abundantly. As we come to Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4, I'm going to open us in prayer and we'll begin with an exposition of that text. Our gracious Lord, we hear and consider this commandment to not covet. And as we read of the application of ancient Israel so long ago, we pray that we would find application for ourselves, that you would give us wisdom, that you inst would instruct our own hearts to teach us of all of the covetousness and discontentment that is there that you would teach us so that we would turn to you to be satisfied in you and you alone. I pray that this lesson would 
prove to give us a better awareness of ourselves, but it would help us to find a greater contentment and trust in you, a greater satisfaction in you, enjoyment of you. We pray that you would do a great work in us for the glory of your name. Amen. Deuteronomy 25, 4 to 26, 19 is an exposition on the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. This commandment connects to this idea in loving God because it's about you being content in his protection, his provision, and his guidance. Being content with how God has decided to protect you with the food and clothing he has given you, the situations that he has placed you in to trust in his provision even when there is a lack of bread and water for a time as was the situation with the Israelites to trust his guidance when he is guiding you on a path that isn't efficient Uh, it's the much longer path Uh, when you the short way is just to go just go that way don't go around the Philistines you just go straight that way. And God's like, no, we're actually going to go around this way. It's going to take a lot longer. And you're actually going to go in circles for 40 years. And then you're going to go out. It's not the path that we would choose for ourselves, but it is the path that God in his wisdom chooses for us. This 10th commandment also ties not only into loving God, but loving our neighbor And I think it, if you think of this sort of Bill of Rights concept, the Bill of Rights for your neighbor that the Ten Commandments is, is your your neighbor has a right to household security is the concept here. Therefore, you shall not covet his house, his wife, his servants, his animals, his fuel-injected chainsaw, those sort of things like that. (laughs) <laughs> I knew I'd get somebody there with that one. Okay, like, I, you know, I've never coveted anybody's ox in my life because I don't know anybody who has an ox. But you know somebody who has the fuel-injected chainsaw. So. <laughs> Deuteronomy 25.4 reads, You shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing. The idea here is you're, you're paying the worker, you know, what they need to be able to keep working. Ox has got to eat if it's going to work. And as I'm sure you're familiar with, 1 Timothy 5, 18, Paul picks up on the same sort of logic from here. And he ties it to uh, pastors being paid. He's bringing out the idea that not paying a pastor is an injustice because it's due to him. You know, if he, if he can't buy bread so that he can eat and provide for his family and keep doing it, his work. Well, he, he can't work. He can't labor if he doesn't have wages that comes with that particular labor. And what Paul's doing is he's appealing to the nature of God and saying, God, God doesn't pervert justice. So do, do what is just and right in this situation so that work can continue to go on. Concerning the 10th commandment, we're going to consider the next few verses, 5 through 19, as a a block here. Chapter 25, 5 through 19, and how 
these verses talk about not coveting, which as we've talked about, this relates back to the, the fourth commandment. So we look at the, you know, the commandments and how they connect to one another. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So commandments one and two connect to what commandment on the right side? Yeah, number five, the commandment three connects to which commandments on the right side? Six, seven, eight, nine. And then here we are with 10 and four connected. How do you think commandment four com connects to commandment 10? My writing is bad today. <laughs> How does, you know, a commandment to rest in God connect to not coveting? Ben, go for it. Yeah, you're being content with what you have, with what God has given you. If you're resting in him, you don't want uh, something more or something different. You know, for the Israelites on the Sabbath, like, but I want to go and do that. You hear that? You know, everybody has wants and desires and the such, but the question, is it lawful? Is it lawful for me to want that and to try to pursue having it right now? And they would have a day where it was not lawful to pursue certain things. You know, it, it's okay to go and gather wood, but not on Saturday in Israel. And when you think about that, in terms of you know, the, a previous commandment about not stealing. You know, how, how is coveting different than stealing? You think somebody's coveting somebody's house, wife, animals. Yeah. Right, so you see the, the difference there, you know, stealing is this action that you carry out. Uh, covetousness is an attitude. It's an attitude rather than an action, which, you know, all, all of the commandments apply to the heart, but perhaps this one especially. You come to the culmination and conclusion of the commandments. You see, it's about loving one God with all your heart everything inside of you, everything that's outside of you and everything that he's placed around you and given to, to you to have or to use in life. Are you content with where God has placed you? Are you content with the situations that you're in right now? Well, coveting, you know, looks at sense as well. I want, I want that. I want you know, that paycheck. I want to live in, you know, that place. I want to be out of this situation, and in a different one. But it's in those moments that God challenges, you know, our contempt. How, how could we ever learn that we were covetous, lest we were put in a situation where we would want it to be different? How could we know that about ourselves unless God put us in this situation where we thought we were lacking something even though we didn't? 
but he's doing it so that you can see what we truly have in him, which what he's wanting us to see is that we have him. Coveting has to deal with testing if you can stay within the lines that God has drawn for your life. Where stealing focuses more on stuff than a particular situation. I think as you can hear, coveting is more tied into contentment. We don't use the word covet too often, but we very much will talk about contentment, discontentment, things like this. Now in this text, there's maybe a situation that sounds a little curious here to you. It talks about if verse 5, if brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, then the wife of the one who died shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. In this sort of situation, you see, now you think we're in this concept of coveting or being discontent. Well, a, a brother has died. A, a husband has been lost and the remaining brother is to continue the family name this has to deal with how God would give a, a property to a particular tribe and it was meant to always stay there and to be preserved for a particular purpose so God not only wanted to continue a, a seed line that would connect to the Messiah but also to give the inheritance that was promised to Israel as he promised but certain things have to happen a certain way for that to be able to work. Well, how does this test contentment in this situation? And how is God teaching his people to, to be content within a particular society? Well, if a brother dies and the remaining brother doesn't marry the widow, well, what, what, what could this guy try to do? Well, he, he could just take this land for himself since it probably belonged to his father to begin with so what happens if if he doesn't marry his brother's widow is that he gets the land for himself so there's a temptation that he can do so it's just totally selfish it doesn't benefit her at all but it totally benefits him because he could inherit an entire property but she could lose everything the father in the situation, he likely distributed the land equally, you know, between, you know, the brothers, which, you know, again, it makes this remaining brother the inheritor of that particular land. It would go to the brother rather than the widow in this case. But contentment says, you know, the land that my father has given me is enough. Uh, I, don't, I don't need to inherit the land of my brother who has passed away and to take it away from his widow. I can be content with what my father has given me. So I'm willing to take a hit financially, but when you're content, you're not seeing it as a hit. You're not seeing it like, well, I'm losing something. You're saying, I'm not losing, I have everything I need. I don't, I don't need more. I don't want, it. but instead, what I can do is raise up a line for my brother so that that inheritance can pass down to the right people and, the, and this widow could uh, find protection within this culture and within the society of 
Israel. He could see this as how an additional inheritance. He says, it doesn't move me from one iota from doing something that might actually help someone else. And you see this, if, if he's to marry his brother's widow, uh, he has nothing to gain in it, but she, she has everything to gain. It's a totally selfless act you know, on her behalf and for her good. But if he doesn't do this, then the family just dies out and he gets the land and her life gets destroyed potentially. So in this situation, it's, you know, testing Israel to think, you know, are, are you willing to, to live within your means even in a very dramatic way? which you see in this sort of situation, it, it's dramatic. You know, this guy could selfishly, lawfully, you know, gain uh, this property for himself and she could lose everything. And it would be uh, lawful in a way, but you're saying, you know, that's, you're not just trying to live by the letter of the law. What's the spirit of it? The spirit of it is you being content. So what decision do you make in this situation? Well, you don't seek to benefit yourself. You seek to benefit her in this particular situation. Now, if you've ever been concerned that uh, homeschooling your kids would cause them to be too sheltered, I'd recommend you just have them keep reading their Bibles and they will very much not be too sheltered. One of those examples is found 25, 11 through 12. I'll read that to you and explain it. If two men, a man and his brother, are struggling together and the wife of one comes near to deliver her husband from the hand of the one who is striking him and she puts out her hand and seizes his genitals, then you shall cut off her hand. You shall not show pity. So here I have this example of you know, cutting off the hand of a woman who seizes a guy's genitals. One of those things that you, know, you start reading the Bible for the first time. You know, I just didn't think something like this would be in here. It's a curious and rare circumstance to be sure. It's the, it's the only time in scripture where you see mutilation, you know, cutting off of the, the woman's hand as a, a punishment, which, you know, if this, if this is on the law books, you're just not going to do something like that, right? <laughs> you know, the, the law is instructing you, it, it's, curbing you from certain behaviors. It's uh, preventative while it's teaching values. Well, what, what does this have to do with contentment? I think in our previous situation, we saw contentment with the, within the question of, are you willing to stay in your own box and help somebody else? That's the situation with the brother and the widow. But here we have the inverse sort of idea about living within your means and not wishing harm on somebody else because you're content even in a, in a bad situation. So you, you're not thinking, well, I'm discontent and I want harm to come upon that other person and then I'll be content when harm has been brought to that other person. The text here likely means that what, what this uh, gal has actually done has you know, emasculated the guy. The word means to, you know, to, to cut off. And maybe what she's thinking in this situation where this other guy's uh, hurting her husband, she's thinking, well, if you hurt my husband, I might not be able to have children. 
And because I'm not going to be able to have children, I'm going to take that away from you as well. You can see the sort of discontentment in trying to manipulate uh, a selfish desire to carry out to retribution uh, by your own hand. You might think about this in our world, more so in uh, the business world, where somebody, they, they're hoping that somebody might take a fall so that they could be promoted. You know, it's to the harm of another person, but it, it could benefit you if something bad happened to them. But can you be content, whether a person takes a fall or not, and be more concerned about you know, they, they've been harmed in this situation in losing a job, not seeing it as an opportunity for you to advance yourself. And even if you were advanced, you know, maybe this person need, needed to be fired or laid off for some reason, and you, you move up, there should be some, something within you where you don't feel like that position belonged to you. You're more troubled by the fact that uh, you've been benefited at somebody else's loss. It's very much something that happens at the heart level. Because on the outside, you know, to everybody else, it's just, it just makes sense. Like, oh, we understand why so-and-so had to be laid off because he was taking you know, six-hour breaks on his eight-hour shift. You, know, you can't do that. We can see how you've moved up into this position. But what God is looking at is your heart in the whole thing. You know, are, are you delighting in the harm that's come upon another person or do you grieve that that has happened to them? You know, if you're absolutely content, uh, it, it, this potential opportunity, it doesn't matter how good it looks to you. Uh, it doesn't matter to you if you benefit from how bad this situation comes uh, because even if this other person gets laid off, you you still don't want the position then. Like, it doesn't matter. You're okay to just stay where you're at. You're not there secretly hoping, I hope so-and-so goes so that I can move up here. Contentment means you're not happy when somebody else gets hurt for your benefit. If you're content, you, you wouldn't care about that benefit. Instead, you would care about that other image bearer. You would care about that other person. So you can see how covetousness is connected to selfishness. But if you don't covet, you're being selfless and you're content. And if you're content, you can focus on the needs of others without a focus on what you think that you need, even though you already have enough. I like that word, by the way, enough. I have enough. Is there anybody here that doesn't have enough? <laughs> yeah. Chapter 26, you know, picks up on these ideas of paying your tithes to God. And, you know, why is it that, you know, these Israelites, you know, would and could pay these tithes of all sorts of things? Well, that's because they're, they're content. They recognize God set these sort of parameters set of things. Well, I don't, I don't want to tithe this grain or oil because, you know, what if, what if I don't have enough 
to be able to make all the, the bread I want and things like this. But if you're content and you're trusting, you know, God provides for me and he's given me this commandment. Uh, I've never been in, in lack. Therefore, I can come and worship his faithfulness by making this tithe. And this is highlighting something specific in their theology. I think you see this in verse 5, chapter 26 and verse 5. It says, And you shall answer and say before Yahweh your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, but there he became a great, mighty, and populous nation. What they're recognizing here is God's always been good to us. He's been good to our fathers. He's been good to, to bring us out of Egypt. He's been good to provide for us needed food and clothing always. He's always been good to us. It's a reflection back on God's past faithfulness, which is part of contentment. Part of contentment is you give to God because you recognize everything's from him, and he's good. You, know, you, you don't hesitate to, to give of your money or your time thinking, well, you know, if, if I do this, I'll, I'll be in want. You know, I can't, I, I need to be stingy to protect myself because I don't trust God's protection of me. Uh, I need to keep this provision for myself because I'm not, I'm not trusting God to provide for me what I would need if I made this sacrifice for him. You see, it's not a, a cheerful giver. It's a, it's a greedy not giver. You know, or, you know, maybe at best a hesitant giver. But we want to recognize what makes us a cheerful giver is everything belongs to God. And he's given me this. And I can take this and uh, give it as a way to, to magnify his grace toward me and to worship him and to show him that uh, I trust him. Not just in theory, but actually. And so I can carry out this real action and not just say that I trust the Lord, but demonstrate it in some real simple way in this example, you know, a, a tithe. Deuteronomy, as we've talked about, it's a, it's a constitution. And this constitution, God defines contentment for his people and helps them to, to understand that what it is is being satisfied in him. It's trusting him and then demonstrating that through particular actions, now, while we don't have a, a tithe within the new covenant that we're told to make, we're just to give whatever we decide in, in our heart. There isn't some percentage on it, which if you add up the percentages of stuff that you know you were supposed to give, it, it's like 20, 21 to 22.75%, laying somewhere in there. But it, And it was also like stuff that came out of your garden rather than you know, writing a check. But there's principles in which it, it could tie to our taxes. Uh, you recognize there's some stuff that you don't have to report it. And if you did it, you know, not, nobody would know that you didn't report it and didn't pay taxes on it. But if you're content in God, you can report that thing. You don't think, well, you know, if I if I don't do this, then I won't have this money and I might not be able to do this stuff. I won't have enough. But if I trust that 
God's going to provide for me. I think he's always provided for me. I've always had enough. Well, how do I worship him even when I complete my taxes, which we're going to need to do here pretty soon. That's coming up. I usually like to do that early February, if possible, if you got all your documents. But we think about things like this, and there's a very real element in which we can worship the Lord and just how we do our taxes and make some decisions there, decisions that maybe only you would ever know about, decisions that are made in the, in the private but we're not, we're not making them in the dark. We're making them in the light of the God who sees everything that we do. I want to expand on this concept and the application of contentment. I think a good passage to do that is Philippians chapter 4. If you want to turn with me in your copy of God's Word, Philippians 4.11. That's where I want to pick up at. page 1510 if you have the same Bible I know a few of you do we're going to think a, a bit more together about contentment here from Philippians 4 and we'll start with looking at verses 11 to 13 Philippians 4.11 Not that I speak from want, for I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in abundance. In any and all things, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So you guys look at that text. What's one of the things that you observe about contentment? Yeah, it's something that you learn. But how do you learn contentment? Yeah, thinking about what God has done for you. What are, what are some other, other ways you think we learn contentment? Yeah, trusting in God. I think you're going to hear all these ideas. I'm going, to, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 12 to you. This is the, the passage about that thorn in the flesh that Paul dealt with and trusted in God's sufficient grace. I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. This is an example of how contentment is learned. Paul writes by the Holy Spirit, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So how did God teach Paul contentment? What did he give him to teach him contentment? Yeah, so you see this wide range. He you know, had these great revelations of which he, he couldn't speak, but he also gave him this thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself. And you'd say, you know, one way that God teaches us contentment, trials, thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. That's how he does it. 
says, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. Have you ever been discontent and you ask the Lord three times or more, like, God, make it go away? And he doesn't. He said, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and hardships for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Contentment is learned in adversity. That's where we learn contentment. Uh, We don't learn contentment through leisure and entertainment so much. Uh, We learn it through disappointment, which, you know, these are just words that are coming from what Paul wrote. He had the adversity of false teachers who were way more prominent than him in Corinth. People gave them more of an ear than him as a true apostle. Uh, He learned contentment through disappointment. You know, things in Paul's lifetime never turned out in Corinth the way that he had hoped for them. He learned contentment in weakness, this weakness of this inability to achieve what he had hoped to achieve in this situation. We also learn contentment through not being controlled by what we want. You can see that Paul wanted the thorn in the flesh to go away. He asked the Lord three times. But how did he learn contentment? By God not taking it away, even though he asked three times. Instead, what he learned was, my grace is sufficient for you. Where do you learn that? Well, you learn it in adversity, disappointment, weakness, and not getting what you want, but God giving you what he wants in your life to teach you that his grace is sufficient. Uh, it's, it's enough that he has you and you have him. It's enough that he shows his strength and your weakness because now God has the testimony of somebody who should be content, but they're not. Everybody looking at the situation is saying, this guy shouldn't be content. He, he should be miserable. Look at all this stuff that's happening to him. But you see this guy who is content. It's like, well, who... Who does that in a guy? Well, King Jesus does that. And there's a display that he's good. Jesus is a good king. He can be trusted in in any and all sort of situations. And God wants that kind of testimony for himself. Therefore, he puts his saints in situations where we have something similar to a thorn in the flesh of some sort that he doesn't take away. We can be discontent both in abundance and in lack. You see that in this text. There's a discontent in abundance. How how does that work? Maybe you think think that you need a a bigger house. You think you need better and more vehicles. You think you could use some extra cash. Uh, You think that you need more. Well, why do you think that you need more? Well, for some of us, maybe it's our our reputation. We don't want to be known as the person who needs stuff. We want to be the person who meets needs, not the one who has to receive somebody else 
helping us, and that is our pride. The, the issue there being you're, you're self-reliant, and you want people to see you as somebody who's self-sufficient. You can do things for yourself, but the problem there is that you're self-reliant rather than God-reliant. And you think of contentment as something that you earn for yourself. You know, contentment's something I can get for myself by putting in some more hours, uh, setting aside, making more money, setting aside some money so that I can get this thing because when I get that thing, I'll finally be happy. I'll finally be at rest and I will have resolved something for myself. You think that you can earn for yourself some sort of position, reputation before other people. You think you can earn for yourself possessions that will bring you some sort of satisfaction. But then you get the thing and it breaks and you try to contact the warranty people. They're like, eh, we don't, we don't honor the warranty anymore. Well, actually, there's fine print that says we don't have to, we don't want to. And then they hang up on you. <laughs> You know, the, the issue is an issue of the heart here, being discontent, even in abundance. Because usually we think, well, discontent's when you lack stuff, not when you have a bunch of stuff. But you see Paul talking about, you know, he could be content in abundance. Like, even when he had a bunch of stuff, he didn't want more stuff for his stuff. Because when you get more stuff for your stuff, then you got to take care of that stuff that helps you take care of your other stuff, you know. you got to maintenance these other, other things and whatnot. It being an issue here in the heart in which you want other, other people to esteem you the way that you esteem yourself. You can think of it like that. You know, I want people to see me as strong and self-reliant and I can always figure it out and uh, do it myself somehow. I never need anybody. I'm independent. Well, discontent and lack. This is maybe more readily, readily conceivable for us. You know, like, like the person who's discontent in abundance, there can be discontentment in what you lack. You know, you're, you're lacking things that you wish you had. You're uh, lacking something in a housing situation. Uh, your car or just desires that you have, things that you would want, dreams that you've had, hopes that are unrealized, things that you hope that you had uh, accomplished at some certain point in your life, but you're not getting any younger. Uh, the, those days are gone. They, they've left you. You know, we talk about this, you know, people having a, a midlife crisis or something like that. There are certain things that just pass you by in life, but are you content when they've passed you by recognizing that, that life is a gift, it's not gain? We can be discontent and lack in our circumstances. Uh, maybe you think you, you have an unfulfilling job uh, I don't like it. Uh, I would rather do something that I like. Or maybe it's a, it's a low-paying job in your mind. But do you have enough is the question there. Even though it pays less, maybe people in your region would say it's low-paying. But do you have enough? Uh, do you eat you know, three meals a day? Uh, can you throw in an extra bowl of cereal anytime you want pretty much? Yeah, you, you have enough. You have, uh, do you have enough even to share with other people? Like, do you feed other people beside yourself sometimes? Maybe you don't have a low-paying job. Maybe you actually live like a king. Maybe you live like royalty. Uh, you, you not only have 
you know, something nice like mac and cheese and weenies for dinner. But you can follow it up with some Captain Crunch for dessert. It's not a diet I recommend, but <laughs> every now and then that's just what happens. <laughs> you can be discontent and lack. Maybe, maybe you're, you're single in life later than you hoped. Maybe uh, you've wanted to have children, but you've been unable. Maybe you do have children, but some of them are really difficult. What about a, a marriage that's just, it's unhappy right now. There's just something off with it, and it's been like this for a long time. What about physical disabilities? Ones that, you know, you're just going to have them the rest of your life, or they're things that, they just get worse. They're never going to get better. You're going you're gonna to die with them. You have continual health struggles. You're lacking there. When it comes to being discontent and lack, we tend to think of things in these terms. You think, I'll be happy when, fill in the blank. But we're not filling in the blank with Psalm 23, 1. You know, I'll be happy when the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want When we're content with the Lord being our shepherd, we don't want more than that. And why do we not want more than that? I mean, how is it that you can be content even when you're lacking something? Well, it's because of you know, the title of the lesson here. You know, because of who has me, I shall not want. You know, the only thing that I need is Christ. You think about that song that, that we sing, you know, all I have is Christ. That's the idea. It's, you know, all that I have is him, and that's all that I need. This is everything that I need. And when we're singing that, we're, we're delighting in that reality, and we're proclaiming it to one another. You know, we're, we're discipling one another with, with those words when we sing them. The Lord is our shepherd, and when we truly understand that, we don't want anything different than that. If he has me and I have him, then I, I have everything that I need. I also have everything that I could ever want because it, it, there, isn't, there isn't more stuff outside of him. When we understand this, when we perceive of what is truth, when we perceive of what is reality, that nothing more than Christ is needed or desired, we're content or another word is I'm satisfied in him we also sing that in a, another song my worth is not in what I own I'll read you some of the, the lyrics from my worth is not in what I own the song says I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light but I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. It's content in him. It doesn't covet anything else because of that satisfaction that's in him. You know, if you need a, a song to help you to put off covetousness, to put on contentment, and to help you set your sights on Christ, my worth is not in what I own. 
That's your song right there. Maybe you'll find some others. Blind Willie Johnson's got a good one on being satisfied. But I don't know if you ever listened to Blind Willie Johnson, but you should. And then we can be buds and talk about it. Well, at this point, we've, we've reached uh, coming to the handout that I've given you. And the reason I gave you the handout is so I can end on time. I can just stop anywhere in the middle of this and you still have uh, the gift that I wanted to, to give to you. And we're going to start through thinking through some of those things here. Uh, does anybody not have the handout? All right. Corey, we got Richard there in the back doesn't have one. All right. First uh, question on there have is what, what, what is contentment to you? How would you explain that? What is contentment to you? Peace, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, these are the sort of synonyms we're talking, which are super helpful to think it through. You know, you're you're at peace. You're you're at rest. Yeah, a, a gift through that is God could be increasing your, your patience. Now, what, what is contentment? Sorry, I interrupted you. Acceptance? Yeah, because you're recognizing that the, the, the Lord has you. That's an element of contentment. Yeah, quietness, rest, freedom. Yeah, that's good. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's an agreement with God. Like, th this is enough. This is enough. Because, uh, you know, you think about the doctrine of providence. You know, we, we usually say, you know, that was providential. Like, all of a sudden, uh, you, you win 50 free In-N-Out burgers. Like, oh, that was just providence. But, you know, you, you don't say that when you get a flat tire on the road, you're like, oh, the providence. That's a God thing. <laughs> but it is, though. It is providence. And it is of the ordination of the Lord that that very thing has happened. But it's not just the, the good things. It's also the difficult things. And note that I said difficult and not bad. You know, God's not, the Father of lights is not doing bad to you. Don't call it that. You can say it's difficult. You can say it's hard. But you, you must believe that he's good in doing that and look for the good that he's doing in that difficult situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the basis of, of contentment you know, is God. You're trusting that he's... The one who, he, he has protected you the best way you could be protected right now in the, in the wisest way possible for his purposes. Same with his provision, same with his guidance. When you think about that, uh, you know, guidance I haven't uh, elaborated much on, but sometimes you, like, you wish that you knew more of what to do in a situation, but he only takes you so far. You know, maybe there's, you know, uh, 30 steps that needs to, to be taken and he does half, half step one week 
next week, another half step. You're like, this is going way slower <laughs> than I anticipated. But trusting that this, is, this has got to be the best way. How do I know that it's the best way? Because the Lord is my shepherd. It's not I'm shepherdless and I just need some way to, to make, get the results that I want faster. It's like, no, he's shepherding me and that this, is, this is the best possible situation. Uh, this is the best possible pace for this right now. Some questions here that, you know, I, I, I've given this to you so you can take some time to, you know, pray about it, think about it, examine your own heart in the weeks ahead. Think, you know, are, are you content? Are you content in your life? And, and if you are, why are you? Why are you content? And if you're not, why are, why are you not content? And what is it that controls you ultimately? Is it your feelings? You have a particular feeling and that's the thing that's directing if you think you're content or not. Is it other people? You know, what they do and uh, you think you just have to have them view you a particular way and you won't be content until they see you in a particular light. Or what about your circumstances? Do your circumstances control you and... You think this is just, this is difficult. It's, uh, it's hectic. It's not something that I would choose for myself, but uh, I'll, be, I'll be content when this circumstance goes away. You've probably heard this illustration that's in this next question. Uh, are, are you more like a thermometer where what's going on outside changes you on the inside? You think about that inside the thermometer? You have the, the red stuff, used to be mercury, which is way cooler to play with than whatever that other red stuff is. <laughs> but it mo- whatever's going on outside changes what's going on in the inside, how, how high up the red stuff goes. Or are you more like a thermostat where what's going on inside changes things on the outside? You know, the, there's internal stuff inside of the thermostat and you adjust it and it changes what's going on on the outside. You think, well, h- how does my life work? Does the, what's going on outside of me change the red stuff on the inside? Or is what's going on in my heart change how I'm responding to stuff outside of me? So does it function more like, you know, self-control or is it more like you're just acted upon and led around by things outside of you? This is a question for you guys to, to answer. It's not rhetorical. What, what is the difference between a need and a want slash desire? What's the difference between an, a need and a want? Yeah, so you think of a situation like, like you have a car that works, but a mouse got chopped up in the blower fan. It stinks every time you get in it. And you're thinking, man, this thing's kind of beat anyways. Yeah, I wish I could get a different car, but you don't have the money to get a different car. But the one that you have, it will get you to work. It just stinks, <laughs> right? You see, that's a different, you, you, you might want a different vehicle situation, but you don't, you don't need one. You, you have enough. And hopefully you don't smell like a rat when you show up wherever you're going. 
another question I have, uh, you know, under that one is, how proficient are you at recognizing when you've wrongly conceived a, a want or a desire with a need? Uh, how, how good are you at recognizing when you do that? And are, are you controlled by your desires or do you control your desires? You know, like, I want this and it controls me and everything's about it and you're all, you're all uppity about the thing. Or do you control your desires? You say, you know, that's, I need to, to be self-controlled in this desire. Like, it, it is there, but it, it, needs, it needs to be squashed because it, it's not true. The way that I'm feeling about this isn't in line with the reality that the Lord is my shepherd. He is caring for me. Uh, he is doing good for me right now. When, when you don't get what you want, how do you respond? could even just be you're, you're trying to resolve a situation with somebody and they don't do you know, exactly what you want in, in that moment. How do, you, how do you respond? And what does your response reveal about your relationship with the Lord in the moment? You know, that's the other piece. It's not just this horizontal relationship, but there's this vertical component with it as well. What happens when you don't get what you want? You think, you know, Lord, this, this isn't good. You should give me what, what I want in this situation. The way that I'm seeing it is the best way. You know, I, I don't like how things have panned out in your providence, and I have some suggestions. We want to examine our hearts and consider you know, what, what happens when we don't get what we want. You know, are, are we content? Are we trusting God? Next question there I have is, has this discussion about discontentment revealed an idol in your life? Maybe, maybe you've thought about something specific as we've talked about this. The, don't, don't let that escape you. you know, write it down and deal with it. You know, don't just think, ah, maybe I'll remember afterwards. Well, you might just fall back into old habits, old patterns, and never really deal with it. You know, if the, the Spirit's convicted you of something specific, Write down something specific and, and let, you know, another, another saint know about it. Say, you know, the, the Lord convicted me about this and I, I don't want to lose the opportunity to grow. Could, could we talk about this? Could you remind me about this? Could you put a reminder in your phone right now to, to call me and ask me if I've remembered to try to put to death this sin? And when you think about that, you know, it's easy to despair. You know, when you think about, you know, an idol, you're like, man, I've been wrestling with this one for like 22 years. Some of you haven't lived that long, but there's things that can uh, uh, trouble you for that long in life. But you need to also think, how can God's mercy for you help you respond the right way? Uh, Andrew.
Yeah. Well, they even being content with you know the labor of putting to death sin. Some are hard to harder to kill than others. You know, it's one thing to like shoot a squirrel out of a tree. It's another thing to to shoot a buck with a bow, right? Because you could put an arrow in that buck and he just runs off. <laughs> you know, it's going to take another shot to take him down. Whereas a squirrel's a little bit easier. Some of your sins are squirrels. Others are bucks. <laughs> But, you know, it, it takes more labor, you know. It might not be something that just goes away, you know. Uh, and talking to a, a guy that I had met in, in, a, in another town, he said, you know, I've just been praying for the, the Lord to, to take away my habit of smoking. And I said, well, how about you pray it and then trust that the Lord has actually given you the ability to do it. Just stop it. It's like, well, I just want him to take it away. It's like, maybe the way that he takes it away is by you refusing to put your hand on it <laughs> you know you got to put some effort into it if 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 you want that and which is you know, you're bringing up that sort of concept there well i'll leave these other questions for you to to think about to meditate on so that you can uh to, to help you with that work that you're desirous to do and i'm just going to give you know some of some of my own answer to that last question about you know paul's worldview that cultivated contentment in his heart and I'll mention those things here as we close together. But how is it that Paul didn't think that he needed anything and he was therefore content? I think what you see here in Philippians 4 is that he knew he could overcome any circumstance in Christ. And from there, he could even discuss what he did want, but he was content with the situation and what he was in. But it didn't mean that he couldn't talk about what he wanted, but he was okay if he didn't get it. And his motive for wanting things wasn't for self-serving reasons. You know, he wanted things so that he could serve other people, ultimately. And you see that in verse 17. He says, not that, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the fruit which increases to your account. And he didn't resign himself to just tolerate his circumstances with discontentment remaining in his heart. Now, that's an error we don't want to make. We're just like, well, you know, I'm just going to put up with it you know, just grin and bear it sort of thing. But, uh, you know, in this case, we should have a, a holy discontentment, you know. We're not content until we've reached cultivating a heart of contentment in our Lord. So Paul accepted his circumstances from God because he trusted that God knows best and is doing good. Paul didn't see himself as a victim, but as a steward. I think that's a key point. Paul didn't see himself as a victim, but as a steward of situations. I'm a victim of this situation. It's like, no, I'm a steward of, God's given me this situation to steward it and to do something for the glory of his name. This is something that's given, been given me by the sovereign, wise, and good God, and he's done it for a purpose. So with that, I'll close us in prayer, and I still didn't end on time. We can be content with that. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for this time to examine our own hearts and concerns of covetousness and contentment, to think about the great mercy that you've shown us in Christ and the reality that you are our shepherd, which helps to cultivate in our hearts the things that you would have in us. We thank you for how your law instructs us of the covenant of that so long ago uh, showed us the sin that is in us, the death that we deserve, but points us toward the new covenant 
which we have been blessed with in Christ who gives us life and life abundantly. We know from your word that godliness is a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. Pray that we would have that as we recognize that we didn't bring anything into the world and we can't take anything out of it either. Everything that we have is a gift. None of it is gain. Pray that we would truly have a heart that would be content with food and covering, a heart that is content with truly believing the reality that you are our shepherd, that we could say because of you who has us that we do not want because we are satisfied in you.